I'd like to ask you to take your Bibles, please, and go to Psalm 119, please. Psalm 119. I think we have times have a tendency to sort of reduce uh, what it means to know God, to have salvation, uh, to to singular kinds of points of focus when actually the scriptures uh, would would describe it in a, a, a number of different ways so that we can understand the fullness of it. Perhaps most common is to reduce it simply to the issue of of sin and a penalty and having that penalty removed. Now, clearly, that is an absolutely important part of what it means to be saved. And we, the wages of sin is death, and so there is a real consequence to having defied God. But, but if we only think of it that way, we start to approach the issue of sin uh, really just sort of like a, a transaction. I did something wrong. I need to do something to have that wrong removed. And and we're not actually thinking of it in terms of a relationship. That I have sinned against God, and I need to be restored in my relationship with him. Right? Think, uh, Think of any relationship that's important to you. If you do something wrong against that person, you certainly want the consequences of what you've done wrong removed. But if all you care about are the consequences, what kind of a relationship is that? If I do something against my wife and she's unhappy with me and and so the relationship uh, gets tension in it and and I... uh, I go to her and I say, I want you to forgive me. And she says, I forgive you, but she remains aloof. Or I go, hey, great, and I just walk away. Right? The whole point of the forgiveness is for the reconciliation of the relationship. It's actually so that what, what was lost could be restored, Right? And actually, if I'm sincere in my desire to make things right, I want her not just to technically forgive me, and I not only want the relationship to be restored, I actually want to learn not to do that again. Right? I actually want to change so that I just don't find myself on this constant loop of doing the same thing that keeps showing her that I don't love her and keeps damaging the relationship with her. And sometimes that part of the component in our relationship with God isn't in our thinking very well. It's just sort of like, well, I did something wrong. I want God to forgive me because I don't want the consequences of that. It's not... I've sinned against God, and it has, has caused a breach, if I could put it this way, in my relational fellowship with God. And I want that restored. I want the, I want the joy of my salvation restored. I want, I want to be able to approach God with a, an awareness that my conscience has been cleansed. He's forgiven me but I also want to learn not to do that again. 
I want to, I want to be changed to be like Christ. I want to reflect the character of my Savior more. I want to be holy like my Father is holy. Right? And it's that part of it that we're looking at. When we find ourselves persistently, stubbornly battling with a sin, how, how do we approach it in a way that's biblically informed and strong from the Word of God to begin to deal with those sins that seem to be at times entrenched in our lives, right? We, we find ourselves uh, fighting with this regularly. And, and how, do we, how do we begin to work on that? And last week we started in, and, and, and I tried to begin with laying the foundation that the battle with sin is fought in the moment of choice. Right, so James one is clear that 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 sin comes when we've been tempted and then we're drawn away by lust and enticed. So between something which provokes temptation and the act of sin is a moment of choice in my life, and and that's important to understand because when we're dealing with sins that we've struggled with, we fought, and almost can seem as if. They are in control of us. The scriptures would say, no, there is a moment at which you choose. Even if because we've done it so much, we seem to have shrunk in that moment to like a millisecond, right? It's not like we sat there and pondered, I wonder if I should do this. Well, maybe I shouldn't do this. Maybe I should do this. It was provocation, action. But there's still a response. And because there's a response, we are responsible. And sin habits, sin, sins that are deeply entrenched in our lives because we've practiced them for years, right? And, and that's the thing we have to own. The person in this room who says, well, I've just got an uncontrollable temper. I would suggest to you on the basis of scripture, you actually have practiced that all of your life. You have been trained in that kind of response and you've allowed it to become a second nature kind of response. It's not something outside of your control. It's something to which you've handed the reins in your life. And whatever it is, the same pattern there, it can seem like the choice is almost inevitable, but we can't accept that false conclusion we need to stand on the word of God and recognize there's a moment between temptation and between the sin at which we make a choice. And, and therefore, we're accountable and responsible for that choice. That's why we have to confess our sin, right? If it was something we had no control over, then we really wouldn't be responsible and there would be nothing for us to confess to God. But the fact is we do have a choice and we are responsible. So we need to go to the Lord at those times and do that. So step one we looked at last week was, given what the scriptures say about this, how can we make it difficult for ourselves to go from temptation to sin? Romans 13, 14, we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its desires. 
And the two things that I focused on were removing opportunities for temptation, right? We start to think in advance about where are we most susceptible to this sin, and we begin to think in advance about how we can remove the opportunities for temptation. And then, as well, build obstacles between the temptation and the committing of sin so that we're, that we're ready to engage the fight before the fight begins. Right? We, we don't wait until we are under the pressure of sinful desire to all of a sudden start to put something in place. And so that might be as simple right, is never turning on the TV until you actually know what you intend to watch. Because you've found yourself too often just flipping along and then watching things you shouldn't watch. Right, so, so before you ever encounter it, you've made some decisions that actually are helping you avoid it. Or if you know you're prone when tired to become angry, then, then when you sense you're starting to feel worn out, you begin to take preventative steps to guard against what has repetitively been the case, right? You've seen this happen again and again, and there are patterns that you follow, so you're beginning to step out in front of that and, and, and remove the, the opportunity because you're not giving it the occasion or to build in obstacles to it, right? Sometimes it could be as simple if you're prone to, uh, you know, you're prone to fight with each other and then to begin fighting in a way that's not pleasing to God. It may be as simple as when you have something that you have to deal with that you sit down together you read Ephesians chapter 4 about what it means to put on the character of Christ. You read through that chapter from, say, 420 down to the end of it. You stop and you pray and you say, God, please help us to do what this text says. And then have your conversation. Well, come on, we can't do that. Well, you know why you end up blown up? Because you don't say, hey, we need to get out in front of this and, and submit to God's word and ask him to help us, right? Remove the opportunity, build in obstacles so that the minute someone begins to not speak the truth, you can say, whoa, whoa, whoa time out, time out. We're supposed to put away lying and speak truth, right? Or not let... The sun go down on your wrath. You know that God just said that. So you got to work or to be angry and not sin. Or to be kind, tender, or forgiving one another. Not full of anger, wrath, malice, clamor, evil speaking. Right? So you're basically saying, listen, we need help before we get to the temptation to, to blow up. So how are we going to remove the opportunity, build the obstacles? That's, that's the first step. The second step is to build biblical resistance by hiding God's word in your heart. All right, look at Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word 
I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. I use the word biblical resistance. What I mean by resistance is you're doing one action to avoid another action. Right? And in this case, the scriptures tell us that hiding God's word in our heart is a, a pathway to not sinning against God. Right? No matter how high the walls are or how hard you try to avoid opportunities to sin, you are going to need more than that. Right? Because I just laid down sort of like the, you know, the, the comfortable scenario of you know you're going to have to have a tough conversation, and so before you engage in the conversation, you sit down on the couch, read the Bible, pray together, and you're like, oh, that's great. But what about when all of a sudden in the middle of nowhere, boom, you can just feel the temperature rising? What do you do then? Well, that's where you're going to have to have some resistance between the temptation and the sin, and you build that resistance by the word of God, right? That's, I mean, this text is not tricky. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So so you're building resistance in your life to the power of temptation through the word of God. All right, so let's just dig into this verse a little bit and then and then and talk application and I try and press it home. All right. So look at the resource that God has given to us, your word. Uh, one of the beauties of Psalm 119 is it's all about the word and it uses um, a load of synonyms to help us understand how the word in its beauty and its function, right? Even in the first, look at the first eight verses, it's called uh, law, testimonies, ways, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, right? So, so there's lots of facets to the word that, that are given to us so that we have to have an appreciation of the beauty of this resource that God has given to us. That, that God has spoken to us in in many different ways so that we can get the message, right? We, we have a wonderful resource from God that's intended to minister to the whole person to, to transform us, to shape us into the image of Christ and must be the priority in our lives. The first place we turn for help is God via his word. And you know, that, that's probably what I want to do is not have that be the assumption. Because I think if we're honest, often it's not the first place we turn for help. Right? We, we face some persistent problem and we're much more inclined to to sort of run the gamut of our own thinking, run after anybody who can give us some kind of insight, find some book written on it, find, listen to some lecture, 
right? Not often is it our first impulse is to go, I need to get into God's word to understand the thing I'm fighting with from his perspective. That it's the first place we turn. Right, rather than the last place or even the third place. Because when, when we see what God has done in his word, we have to, we have to have this basic heart confidence that the word actually is sufficient for this problem. And, and I, and I want to press that because when we, when we have something that we struggle with repeatedly, the temptation for us is to think we need something more. Right? Well, I, I mean, I, I, I took a couple Bible verses and they didn't make my spiritual headache go away, so I need to find something else. And, and we're, we're prone to, to, to dismiss the effectiveness of God's word the sufficiency of God's word, that we have all that we need for life and godliness, that the word of God has been given to us and it, it is from God, it's all inspired by God and it is profitable, right? It, it actually brings the profit into our lives that we need, whether that's through teaching or via reproof, whether that's through correction or whether that's through instruction or training in righteousness. The things that I ought to believe are in the word. The things that I shouldn't believe will be confronted by the word. The things that ought not to be a part of my life in terms of my actions and behavior, the word will correct me on that and it'll actually show me how I should live out. And, 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 I'm convinced that, that, that too often, because we treat the Bible as a fairly shallow resource, we never wade in deep enough for that to have happen. Right? And, and here, again, I'm just trying to get you to think about this. When you're battling with a stubborn, persistent sin, that is rooted in self-centeredness. Okay, you're, you have chosen to do what you want to do over against God. And you've chosen to do it repeatedly. And now it's not working out for you. So you want to choose something differently. And you want it now. And you're basically saying to God, fix this mess I made now. So you open up your Bible, you read a couple of verses and go, okay, good. And it didn't fix it. And you think the problem's the Bible. Rather than your heart. That you're, you're, it's like, if I could go back to the analogy, me repeatedly doing something that hurts my wife, and I realize if I don't stop this, it's going to ruin our relationship, and that's a big mess if that happens, so I need to figure out how to stop this, and there's part of me that's like, okay, well, would you quit getting upset about it? 
I mean, there's two ways to stop this. I could stop doing it or it could stop bothering you. Can you stop it bothering you? Because I want to keep doing the thing. I'm doing. Well, okay, okay. So how much negotiation can I make so that I can mainly do what I want to do, but not do it in a way that irritates you? I mean, as long as I'm going from that frame of reference, then it's about me. And that's why I've got the problem. It's been about me. And if I'm really going to get into the change that has to happen, I have to get into the word and get the word in me. I did not just go, well, you know, I got to find somebody who can, who can actually probe deeply inside of me and find out why I'm malfunctioning. Because the premise outside of a biblical worldview is you're basically good. The bad's happening because you're, you're malfunctioning somewhere. Let me find the switch and fix it. Because the focus is on you instead of on God and what God has to say and how what he has to say is holy and good and wise, right? It's moving toward this resource. And, and it's not just the first word we go to. It's supposed to be the final word, right? Sometimes people will, will have a difficult problem and they'll think, boy, you know, I see what God says there, but I'm not sure I can do that. I'm going to see if there's another way. Instead of letting God have the authority. So, so if you're really going to build the kind of resistance you need to temptation to avoid sin, it's going to come through the resource that God has because it was the resource that he used to redeem you. Right? It's the word that came, and Jesus describes it in John 15 as that word making you clean. In Ephesians 5, it's Christ died for the church so he could present it to himself, having washed her with the word, right? It's the word that actually brings life. It's the word that sanctifies, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It is the word that God uses that, and we have to be committed to that if we're really going to change the way God wants us to change. Look at the words I have treasured because there's a responsibility here. And I'd say this, if I could put it this way, on sort of two levels. The first is the general, right? You can't treasure a word that you don't know. So there has to be something about the, 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 the totality of God's word that you count as a treasure and you're consistently trying to put it into your heart. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about a, a real change, right? So, so again, if, if I'm, if my relationship with my wife isn't what it ought to be and all I'm simply thinking about are if I can change a couple of habits rather than the heart toward, right? I'm trying to manage it rather than actually develop it. And, and so what we have to think is like, you're, you're fighting with a sin and it's like, okay, give me, a, you know, give me a couple verses then that I can hide in my heart. 
that's, 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 it's got to be the full heart toward the word, right? This is God's word and I treasure it. I delight in it. Think of the words, I rejoice in the way of your testimonies. I will delight in your statutes. They will be my joy, right? So your word becomes the treasure when you have a steady, balanced diet of biblical truth through reading it, listening to it, studying it. Anything less than that, if I could put it this way, is sort of magical thinking. That if I sprinkle a couple Bible verses on myself before I sit down to watch TV, then I won't watch anything bad. Or if, you know, before I driving down the road and I'm, and I'm feeling like it's going to be tension at home. So like I quote a couple verses and that's going to somehow, you know, just and everything's going to be good. Right. We're treating the Bible like it's a, like it's a magic charm instead of what it really is. Right. The revelation of God and his character. So, so if I only use the Bible for those things that are of, of this kind of importance to me, it's sort of magical thinking that's tied, like I said, to the self-centeredness of it. Right? You, you want, you want really some kind of, of, uh, pill to solve your sin problem. Instead of it being the result of a relationship with God that's growing in that regard. But when you're fighting a specific battle, then you need to be fighting it with specific truth from God's word related to that struggle. So, so it would be, right? I mean, if I, let's say I've got a specific, you know, let's, let's take the anger one. All right. So I, I, I know I struggle with my temper and I'm going home and, you know, I'm, I'm, it's been a frustrating day and I know the kids are going to want to do, you know, they're going to want to, you know, minute dad's home, he's the jungle gym. And, and I know my wife's going to want me to do some helpless things. And so it's like, I'm going to, I just, you know, I've got it all going. So then, you know, so I start quoting verses about, uh, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork, which is a great verse. It's in, it's in the Bible, right? But it's not like really connected to this problem. It would be so right? The, you know, uh, a man who can't control his spirit is like a city whose walls are broken down, right? So Lord, this is really about whether or not I can control my spirit here or whether or not I'm just going to surrender to the pressures around me, right? I'm actually looking at texts of scripture that have to do that, right? The the, the wrath of man, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God, right? I'm certain. I mean, you know, when we had four young boys in our home, pretty sure they're going to do something wrong sometime this evening, right? Because I know their genetic source, Adam, right? <laughs> so so I, I know there's going to be a problem at some point. And, and I know that if I'm already on edge, it might be that my reactions are going to be the anger of man and realize that's not going to work the righteousness of God. So I need to be, I need to be preparing myself 
with the truth of God about how to engage in, right? Specific texts of scripture that either work on the core of the problem or the things that contribute to the problem. Because seldom is it a single issue in our lives, right? Someone with anger issues has probably its, its close cousin there of pride. Right? And if you think of pride as in, you know, how people treat me, the respect I ought to get, what people think of me, what I deserve, right? All of those would be I, 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 I. So somebody says, it's just my anger. It's my, I can't control my anger. It's like, well, yeah, but do you realize why you're getting so angry here? Right, Your pride is what's producing this kind of negative reaction when somebody doesn't do exactly what you want them to do and show you exactly the kind of respect you ought to get or speak to you exactly the way you think you should be spoken to. So make sure you're not just dealing with fruit, but you're getting to root specifically of what God says, of what's at stake in it. Right, it's People people who struggle with telling the truth. How's that for the nice way of saying who lie? Often do so because of the fear of man. They want the approval of people. And they know if they say the truth here, it's going to make them look bad. Because you know, you know what excuses often are? They're dishonest explanations for why this didn't get done. But by excusing it, you can sort of preserve how you look in it. And you're, you're really afraid of what people are going to think about you. That's why you're going to finesse this situation. Did you get that done? Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you scamper out to get it done. Right? You lied so that you could retain face, and, and all you do is start memorizing verses about lying, and you're not really getting to the root, right? The fear of man brings a snare. You actually are, are more worried about what people think about you than what God thinks about you because God knows you didn't get that done. God knows that it wasn't circumstances that prevented this from happening which is what you're trying to explain it was, right? So you need to make certain it's, it's, it's both contributed and core. You're finding out what God says about it so you can begin to hide it in your heart. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, simple or simple answers, right? I'm not saying it's necessarily simple, but uh, there are these things called concordances, all right? Uh, so if, you, if you're a book person, like me, right? You could look up the word in a concordance and it'll tell you all the times that that word's used in the Bible. Or if you're not that, right? I mean, I've, I've got the Bible on my phone and up in the little corner, there's a little search thing. You just type in the word and every verse that uses that word will come up. So the key is to be specific, right? It really doesn't do a whole lot of good to look up the word the in the Bible. So you try to be as specific you can about the issue that you're searching, and then you begin to 
to gather up the scriptures, right? I double-checked it this morning because, I mean, I've, again, I'm a, more of a book person, but you can actually go online and there are topical indexes of the Bible that you can type in a word and they'll pull up all the verses about that word. You can just do it right online without respect to a particular translation. So, so whatever the issue is, you have an idea about not just the words, but the concepts, right? So, so you could look anger, but you could look self-control. You could look patience, right? Endurance. I mean, you know the concept. What I'm saying is you, you, you are looking for what God's word says about this issue so that you can begin to internalize it. All right, so general, love for the word, in the word, word in you, specific on the issue about which you have this fight happening. Okay, next, look at the next word. We're just walking almost word for word through this, right? Your word, I have treasured, and then it says in my heart. That's the realm where this has to happen for us. And the point here is just to remind us that the heart biblically is not, uh, it's viewed differently than we tend to heart. We associate with emotion or feeling, all right, biblically, the heart is the control center of our lives. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So your heart thinks, right? As a man chooses, right? Daniel resolved or purposed in his heart. So the heart was involved in choice or will. Uh, David, at one point when he sinned, his heart smote him. He was under conviction in his heart. Right, So it's the center of the human personality. It is larger than just like brain or the uh, emotion. It's, it's the control center. And so what, what the psalmist here is saying is that we need to take God's word and be internalizing it to the control center of our lives so that it is shaping the way we view things. How do I interpret life? Right? I need to interpret it from the view of God's word according to his truth. That's the way that my perspective has to be. And that's only going to happen is if I'm consistently putting God's word at the center of my life so that I begin to see it the way God sees it. See it not just as in terms of insight to the true nature of it, but also see it in perspective to the overarching picture of what God's doing in my life. Because most of our, many, I think most, but let's just say many of our sin struggles are because we get locked into a very small window and we're judging all of our responses by a very shallow perspective and very short-lived. It seemed like something that was good in the moment. And then sometime later, we're stepping back and we're going, what was I thinking? I mean, why in the world would I make that choice? 
right? I mean, and that's that's the nature of sin. That's the way it, it tends to attract. I mean, you see it again and again, right? Adam and Eve saw the tree that it was desirable and good for food. And then they reacted to it. Samson was among the Philistines and he saw a woman and wanted her. David, walking on his rooftop, saw Bathsheba, desired her. I could go back before him to Achan, right? He saw something, desired it and took it. In the moment, they surrendered to the desire that they had because sin deceives us and they're not looking at it rightly, right? They want something and it throws out good judgment. They make a foolish decision. And that's the same pattern you and I face. Right, and you know this. I mean, you just just think about how many times have you said, "I wish I hadn't said that," or "I wish I didn't do that." I mean, I just reacted. I just, and what you're trying to say is like it just it just happened, but it didn't just happen. It happened because you weren't looking at this from God's perspective. You weren't actually loving the things that God loves. You were loving something more than God. And you chose it. You, You took it. You didn't value the things that God said you should value in this. And you need to recognize it. So how do you interpret life? How, what do you love? The only way that's gonna change is if God's word is washing your mind, so like Romans 12, 2, it's say not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know how your mind is going to be renewed? The word of God washing it. The word of God changing the way you see things, changing the way you value things. Right? That's the only way it's going to happen. The word has to be in there. And the word sensitizes our conscience. It actually helps shape our conscience correctly so that we begin to feel the thing we ought to feel when we start to sin, conviction, right? Conviction is not an enemy. It's a friend. Think about it like nerves in your hand. Right? If you couldn't feel anything in your hand and you just walk along touching stuff, you're going to be in trouble. I remember I was a little kid, you know, we had the, one of those, you know, stove top coil things and, and my sisters were popping popcorn and I was just a, you know, little idiot. <laughs> and I looked and there's like this red coils. I'm like, boom, put my hand right on it. Now I didn't stand there and go, wow, that's a weird sensation. I mean, I pulled it off, and now I had coils on my hand. I'm walking, you know, just walked out of the kitchen into the bathroom, bedroom. My dad was taking a nap, but I said, look at this. <laughs> right? It's like, yow. I haven't touched one of those things since. In fact, I never touch anything with the stove. I, I became so convinced. <laughs> yeah. The reality of it is, you, you know 
you become aware of the sensitivity to those things, and you're like, no, I can't. Well, you know what does that for your conscience? The Word of God. The Word of God makes you so that it should be, hopefully, and we'll talk about this, Lord willing, later, Rather than cleaning up after the mess, all of a sudden the tension starts to build and a word starts to come out and you go, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edification that may minister grace according to the need of the moment. All of a sudden the word works like a throttle on there and says, no, I I can't say that. I can't say that and be pleasing to God nor helpful to that person because your conscience starts to become aware of what God wants you to do. But that won't happen apart from the word. Right? What we want is we want somehow God just to stop us. When when almost always in the scripture, what God is working to do is to make us responsive to him. I mean, it's just an illustration, but don't you think God could have plucked Lot and his wife and his daughter out of Sodom and Gomorrah? He could have just gone, you're out over there. But God sent them a message and wanted them to respond to it because the response to that would show what they loved and who they trusted right and 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 that's a part of the whole issue right god is not just trying to wrap us in bubble wrap in the spiritual fight he's working to change us to make us like jesus so that we love god more than anything else and we trust god more than anything else And that will only be developed in your life as you respond to the truth of God's word. So you've got to hide it in your heart, treasure it there so that it becomes the control of your heart. Look at the last part of the verse, because here's the reason. And that is that I might not sin against you. And and I I want to pick that apart in two ways. The immediate reason is not sin. Right, but don't miss the ultimate against you. Right? That that it's not just about not sinning, it's about your relationship with God. It's about you recognizing that that when the moment of choice comes up, the choice is between me and my sin and God and his will. Why should I not let corrupt communication come out of my mouth toward my wife? Well, here's, here's, all right, here's one way to look at it. Well, because corrupt communication is of no value to her. It's going to hurt her. It's, it's the opposite of, of words that build up and minister grace, right? And that's absolutely true. But you know what the closing part of that is? Not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed for the day of redemption. So my my wife knows the Lord. 
so you know who's dwelling in her, trying to shape her into Christ-likeness too. The one who is making her new is at work in her, and my corrupt communication, which would tear her down, makes me fighting against the Holy Spirit. He's trying to build her up, and my words are tearing her down. I'm fighting against God, and that grieves the Spirit. Why, why would I want to do that? What, what is wrong in my heart if the one I love I'm trying to tear down and the one who's in her that I say I love is now being grieved by it? Until I start to see it that way, I won't see it just like she ticked me off or she didn't do something I wanted or she said whatever, right? Because all of those perspectives are about me and about my offended pride or my hurt feelings or my whatever. Because it really doesn't matter if she sinned because I'm supposed to overcome evil with good. I'm supposed to respond to her like Jesus does to me. I sure am glad every time I mess up, he doesn't go, well, if that's the way you're going to be, because I'd be toast, right? The reality of it is, is that you have to have a heart that values your relationship with God. And you know what's going to produce that? The Word. Because the Word is how you know him, The word is how you grow in grace. The word is how that work happens in your life so that you can follow through on it. All right, so let's let's press it down a little bit, all right? I think we need to, and I've already, I'm really sort of woven it through a little bit, but I want to just zero in because someone might go, okay, I'm not sure I'm convinced that hiding God's word in my heart is going to keep me from this problem that I've had, all right? So so let me just sort of look at it this way, all right? What it does do is it prepares you for the fight. When you are over here, moment of temptations there, you're here by hiding God's word in your heart. It's actually preparing you for when you hit that occasion where temptation is beckoning you. And it prepares you at least in four ways. One is by cultivating humility in your heart, right? You're basically going, I'm looking outside of myself for the answer here. I'm I'm not leaning on my own understanding, but in all my ways, I'm acknowledging him. Okay, So, so you need to realize that God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble, so I'm, I'm going to the word and I, I know I need your help, Lord. I need you to do this and I'm going to go to the resource you've given me. And it's an, it's an expression of faith, right? You're believing God. And so you're actually cultivating a heart of faith, which I, without which it's impossible to please him. And it's by that faith that you will fight the fight that will happen. So humility and faith, it also is working in your heart as a means of caution, right? I'm I'm actually taking time away from the struggle, away from the fight, 
to, to hide God's word in my heart about this issue because I know that I am susceptible. And here's what scriptures say, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. So me taking time in the word is me going, Lord, I know in myself I'm on shaky ground, so please help me here, right? And, and you're therefore going, I know that my adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion seeking, lion seeking whom he may devour, or that he has these schemes Ephesians 6 talks about, and he's going to attack me. He knows my weaknesses, and he's going to attack. He knows when I'm susceptible, and he's going to tailor his attacks. So, so I need to be uh, ready for that. And by daily hiding God's word in my heart, I'm actually helping myself be on guard against it. I'm not just, you know, naively marching on to the punishment that would come from my disobedience. But it's also cultivating a pre-commitment to me. Right? Before I hit the point of temptation, I have been building my resolve to not surrender. It's advanced decision-making that I'm not going to say yes to sin by hiding God's word in my heart. So, so what we need to realize is the value of that. Right? We, we, we can sometimes just be so sporadic in our fight. And the, and the time we care most is after we've fallen instead of before we do. That we go, this is serious. This is, this is important in my relationship with God. So I'm going to invest in the resource that God has given to me to hide it in my heart. But it also is where God's power is operating in our lives. And again, it's, it's sort of multifaceted in this, right? I mean, First Timothy 4 says that we're to train ourselves for godliness. So, so when, I'm, when I'm disciplining myself to be in the word, I'm actually training myself for godliness. Right? I'm, actually, I'm actually having God create in me the character that I need so that I can be ready for the fight. I mean, I know it could sound simple to say it like this, but when I'm saying yes to the discipline of hiding God's word in my heart, I'm actually building the strength spiritually to say no at the point of temptation. But if I don't, I mean, I'm not, this is a rhetorical question, so don't raise your hand, right? If I said to you, do you really think that God's word is vital to your spiritual health? My guess is almost every hand would go up. And then if I said, so how much time did you spend last week in God's word and putting God's word in you? It might, might be a big gap between those, right? You affirm, yes, I need the word. I must have the word to grow. And day after day goes by with never, never breaking it open never meditating on it, never hiding it in your heart. So, so here's the, my point. 
my point is this. You know something and you are not acting on it. That is destroying your character. Right? You know that this is the nourishment of your soul and you're choosing not to nourish your soul. Your character is being twisted in the midst of that. Because you know what is right and you're not doing it. And your character is being drained. And then you step into the moment of temptation and you go, why can't I resist this? Why can't I say no? It's because you haven't been saying yes. You haven't said, I need to get up and get in the word. I need to turn off the TV or shut down the computer. I need God's word more than I need this. You haven't said yes to the thing you know you need. And spiritually, you're weak because of that. Because you've not been training yourself for godliness, you're not prepared for the fight. So hide God's word in your heart so that you build the spiritual strength that God wants to build in you. Train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And it is called the sword of the spirit. So when I'm putting God's word into my heart, then I'm actually getting the weaponry that God wants me to have. But I can't use a Bible verse that I don't know. I can't swing a weapon I don't have. So before the fight, I need to be loading up the weaponry. Letting God put into me the resource of his weapon, the sword of the spirit. Because it's not going to happen by inspiration or revelation. It's going to happen because you've hid God's word in your heart. And now the spirit uses that to help you because the word will provide that help and he will exercise his control in your life through the word. But it also is important, right? And this is something I've talked about a few times and I've preached through it in a series of messages through Matthew chapter four that you can find if you really want to it. But here's the thing I say, the key to this is understanding that the word of God works as a pivot point for us. If I could just use it that way. Right, it's not a magic charm. I've already said that. You're you're not going to just quote a verse in the uh, from the Bible and the devil's going to run away, because we know from Matthew chapter four that the devil knows how to quote the Bible. Right, he quotes the Psalms to Jesus, so he's not actually like afraid of the Bible. So I'm facing temptation and I just start quoting verses and and the demons are going to run and temptation's going to subside. Now, what Jesus does in Matthew chapter four is at every point, he gives the reason why he will not do what the devil wants him to do. All right, so Jesus spends 40 days without food. He is hungry, the word of God says. He's hungry. Satan says, turn this stone into bread. Right? There's an appeal there. I mean, he's hungry. It's not wrong to be hungry. The temptation is to use his power as the Messiah, 
not doing God's will, but doing something for a satisfaction outside of God's will. And Jesus' answer is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. So he's not going, go away. He's saying, no, I'm not going to do that because the most important thing to me is my relationship with the Father. That is actually what I have to live on. I don't live by bread alone. So it's a pivot point. No, I'm not going to do what that sin is calling me to do for this reason, right? Takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, offers him a Bible verse, cast yourself down and he'll rescue you, right? And because you'll not dash your foot upon a stone. And Jesus says, no, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, right? If God tells me to jump off the pinnacle of this temple, I'm jumping, but I'm not gonna jump and tell God he has to rescue me, right? You don't, you don't force God's hand, you follow him. That's what Jesus says. No, I'm not gonna do that because you don't put God to the test. That would be putting God to the test. The Bible says not to do that. I'm not gonna do that. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world, which Luke says Satan has authority over. And he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. And you know what? Jesus has a right to those and is gonna rule over them. But Satan wants to get him on a bypass, right? He wants him to take 275 around downtown instead of through downtown. Downtown is the cross. Satan goes, bow down to me and I'll give you all of this. Jesus' answer, which I think we'd have to say that would be, that would, uh, I mean, if you think about it in terms of the humanity of Christ, that would be an attractive offer. I mean, Jesus is, is pouring out his soul. His soul is troubled to death the night before the cross. The cross was horrific. And he's being offered something that bypasses it. But you know what Jesus says? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I will never bow down to you because only God is worthy of that worship. He gives the reason, right? So he's headed toward a temptation and he pivots by the truth of God. I think that's how Ephesians 4 is set up, right? Put away lying, speak truth. So it's not just, well, I shouldn't lie to this person. It's I need to speak the truth to this person. Right? I need to pivot toward what God says to do and away from the sin. And, and you have to have the word in your heart to have that pivot point there. Or else you're just depending on your own wisdom. You're depending on your own strength. You're thinking that you can solve your problem and the only one who can solve your problem is God. And he's given you the resource that he wants you to access by faith because you love him. So are you getting ready for the fight? Are you spiritually building up resistance? Are you in the word? And are you putting the word in you? And really at the heart of that then is, do you know and love the Lord? Because that's the key. It's when I when I actually see the glory of the Lord in the word, 
that it causes me to love him more than the sin I'm being tempted toward. And if I know what Christ has done for me, I'm meditating on what Christ has done as it revealed in the scriptures, then God's going to be changing my heart, transforming. We're not talking about behavior modification. We're talking about the transformation of your heart because the word will be in your heart changing it. That's what God wants for us because that's why Jesus died. He didn't die on the cross just to get us into heaven. That's wonderful that it is. But God gave his son because he, the father, wants to make us just like Jesus. So Jesus will be the firstborn among many brethren. God didn't save us just to get us to heaven. He saved us to make us like his son. And that has to be what's in our heart. Because if all we want is to avoid the consequences of our mistakes, then I don't think we've genuinely repented. We have not genuinely come to see that Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate reason why we want to fight with sin. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to set us free. And we love him because he died for us. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you so much that Christ has conquered sin and death, that, that in Christ we can be set free from not just sin's penalty, but the power of sin as a master. And we can be growing in grace, that there's no sin that is stronger than the Savior. And Lord, when people are entangled, it's, it's easy to feel trapped. But we are grateful this morning that you rescue sinners, that you break the power of canceled sin, and that we can run the race with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so help us this morning to make certain that our trust and confidence is in him, not ourselves, that we've called on his name to be saved, that we've received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, believing in his name. And if having trusted in Christ, then we can follow Christ. And your word is the lamp and light that we need. Help us to love it. Help us to lean into the word, to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.